Hi, friends. Welcome back to Nate Talks to His Friends About Jesus. So last time we talked about how our loving Father created a place for us to be. He set in motion all the motions that bring us to the place we are right now. So let's talk for a bit about what it means to be human, born into this world that God created. Because I think if we don't understand this aspect, we don't understand how to live, we'll miss out on how to be happy. So here's how God tells the story, starting in Moses chapter 30, verse 7. He says, And I, the Lord God, formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul, the first flesh upon the earth and the first man also. Nevertheless, all things were before created, but spiritually they were created and made according to my word. And I, the Lord God, planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there I put the man whom I had formed. And out of the ground, I, the Lord God, uh, I, <laughs> and out of the, gro- the ground made I, the Lord God, to grow every tree naturally that is pleasant to the sight of man, and man could behold it. And I, the Lord God, planted the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I, the Lord God, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Remember, like our commission here from Heavenly Father, to be his image bearers, to bear his image to the world, to take care of the place that God has created. It's what we're born to do, to dress it and to keep it, to care for this place, to rest in his creation as he does. And I, the Lord God, said unto mine only begotten, that it was not good that man should be alone. Wherefore, I will make an help meet for him. Meet here means suitable, fit, or proper. It means that I'm, we're going to create a suitable and fitting partner to act in this, this role of bearing God's image, of caring for his creation. And so I, the Lord God, caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And I took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in the stead thereof, And the man which I, the Lord God, had taken from man, and the rib, man, I'm struggling today, sorry, and the rib which I, the Lord God, had taken from man, made I a woman, and brought her unto the man. Like, this is an important point, right? Like, they, Adam and Eve, uh, men and women, are literally made of the same stuff. They correspond to each other, help meet for one another, a suitable partner. But at the same time, the Hebrew word used here for Eve is bana, meaning to build. God built up the woman from the foundation of Adam's rib. That, that some sense of adding what was not there before. And it says something important about the differences between men and women. Adam was formed. The Hebrew word here is yeser. So he's form. It represents taking some existing substance and molding it into a shape. But woman is bana, built up from the foundation of man's ribs. In other words, God added in making the woman, uh, which is not included in the rib. Men and women are intimately linked, literally made of the same stuff. But they're also created unique and separately as genders, men and women, as suitable partners in this work of caring for God's creation. And Adam comments on this when he he sees Adam. Adam says, I know that it is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, this unity, right? 
and she shall be called woman. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave, uh, meaning hold tightly to, unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. Again, that, that connotation of unity only acceptable in marriage, that sexual relationship. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. I like, th- this is an important point. Bodies are good. Sex and intimacy in marriage is very good. One flesh, not ashamed. Like, th- those are important points. I really think we need to adopt a more positive view of sex and intimacy in a marriage here. I, I think I, I could go on for a long time. Trust me. It's just not necessarily the topic for today. But just remember, like, one flesh, not a shame, cleave to his wife. Like, those are important points. And I, the Lord God, commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Nevertheless, in that day... Uh, Thou mayst choose for thyself, for it is given unto thee. But remember that I forbid it, for in that day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So let's talk about this tree, these trees, right? Here's what Joseph Fielding Smith says about it. He says, now, this is the way I interpret it. The Lord said unto Adam, here's the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If you want to stay here, then you cannot eat of that fruit. If you want to stay here, then I forbid you to eat it. But you may act for yourself and you may eat it if you want to. And if you eat it, you will die. And this idea of fruit here, Bruce R. McConkie. As to the fall, the scripture set forth that they were in the Garden of Eden two trees. One was the tree of life, which figuratively, figuratively, that's an important point, figuratively, refers to eternal life. And the other was the tree of knowledge and of good and evil, which figuratively refers to how and why and in what manner mortality and all that appertains to it came into being. To Adam and Eve, the command came to not partake thereof lest they die. Again, the account is speaking figuratively. What is meant by partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is that our first parents complied with whatever laws were involved so that their bodies would change from the state of paradisical immortality to a state of natural mortality, end quote. So we don't necessarily know what it means to eat the fruit. Um, and Bruce R. McConkie seems to be pretty clear that this is a symbolic uh, representation, and it's an effective one. Um, but by what exact manner mortality came into being, We don't know, but we do know that there was this choice to be made. Uh, But it's not just that there is a choice between eating the fruit and not eating the fruit. Uh, That can be hard enough. Like, just stand behind me when I'm at the creamery on 9th when I try to decide between the ice cream flavors, Graham Canyon and Bishop's Bash, etc. Like, choices by themselves can be hard. But it's not just that they have a choice between eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But it's also that there is an actual being working for their and our misery. Here's what we know about him according to Moses chapter 4. Satan, um, whom thou commanded in the name of mine only begotten, is the same which was from the beginning. So there was Satan in the beginning, right? This adversary, this enemy. And he became before God saying, Behold, here am I, send me. I will be thy son. 
I will redeem all mankind that not one soul shall be lost and surely will uh, I will do it. Wherefore, give me thine honor. There's so much messed up in that, right? Like and not redeeming, redeeming everybody regardless of choice, right? Um, and taking the honor of God like is this really selfish, fearful way to live. But behold, God says, my beloved son, which was my beloved and chosen from the beginning, said unto me, thy will be done and the glory be thine forever. Very different view. And we sense this in how the gospel operates. Wherefore, because that Satan rebelled against me and sought to destroy the agency of man, which I, the Lord, had given him, and also that I should give unto him mine own power, by the power of mine only begotten, I caused that he should be cast down. So because of the open rebellion, because he's seeking to destroy agency, because he's trying to overthrow God and take his power, um, he is cast down, cast down to this earth. And he became Satan. Satan isn't his name. It's a title. He became Satan. Um, Yea, even the devil, another title. You, you can look up those titles. We've used them before, right, in 76. The father of all lives to deceive and blind men and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto my voice. And now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which I, the Lord God, had made. And Satan put it into the heart of the serpent, for he had drawn away many after him. And he sought also to beguile Eve, for he knew not the mind of God. Wherefore, he sought to destroy the world. Mm, that's interesting. He sought to beguile Eve, for he knew not the mind of God, and he sought to destroy the world. And so here's how he goes about it. He said unto the woman, Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And he spake by the mouth of the serpent. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which thou beholdest in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as the gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it became pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make her wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and also gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they had been naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made them aprons. So this is the first time we get a view of what this world is like. There's an unmistakable fact that in this world, we are going to brush up against uncomfortable situations. You're going to bump into difficult things. You're going to try and make a joke and it's going to fall flat. You're going to have somebody burn you, not physically, just like emotionally burn you, right? Like, oh, nice burn. 
You're going to have your mind say in these situations, I don't like this. This is no fun. I hate this. And our natural solution is to do what Satan tells Adam and Eve. We, we cover it up. We justify in our minds. We come up with external solutions to our internal discomfort. Cover it up, shove it down, run away. This is what the world is like. Hide. And they heard the voice of the Lord God as they were walking in the gardens in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife went to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Like, like this, this is so crazy. They go from being like Buddy the Elf that is like, Santa's coming! I know him! To hiding. This is just when we feel uncomfortable, right? And we try and get away from that discomfort. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where goest thou? And Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, and I hid myself. Dude, this is crazy. But it's also critically true. Almost everything we do here on this earth, like from how we dress to how we talk to who we hang out with and what we watch is all designed to deal with this fear we feel. It's all to get away from that uncomfortable part of ourselves, this fearful part of ourselves. We try and make ourselves and our lives completely comfortable. And we hide. And, I, and, and the Lord God said unto Adam, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof? I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat, and if so, thou shouldest surely die. And the man said, The woman thou gavest me, and commandest that she should remain with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I did eat. And I, the Lord God, said unto the woman, What is this thing that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now, again, we don't know exactly the, the laws or the functions uh, of this choice, but it seems like God told them one thing and they did another thing um, and therefore brought about this earth and this world. And I, God, said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this thing, Thou shalt be cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. Consequence number one, okay? Um, consequence number two. And unto the woman, I, the Lord God, said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. And unto Adam, I, the Lord God, said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the fruit of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed shall be the ground for thy sake. 
In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. By the sweat of thy face thou shalt, uh, shalt thou eat bread until thou shalt return unto the ground. For thou, sure, thou shalt surely die. For out of it wast thou taken, and dust thou wast, and unto dust thou shalt return. There we go. Consequence number one, cursing Satan. Consequence number two, unto the woman multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Number three, unto Adam, cursed shall be the ground for thy sake. This puts us in a position where we have difficulties. And the, the work of life is to use these difficulties from the fall to become purified. We are saying living this life is the highest spiritual path. God has essentially created a situation here where every moment, every interaction has the potential for purification and growth. So how does life itself purify an individual? Uh, Let's talk about Eve. He talks about Eve starting a family. And let's just talk about that process. Like first, when she is pregnant, she's not even showing, right? It's fine starting a family. It's no big deal. What's God talking about that is going to be multiplying thy sorrow? Like except for morning sickness bit. Now, no, throughout here, I'm very sarcastic. Um, (laughs) Dude, I think I'd rather break my arm than have a constant bout of nausea here. But then when the morning sickness ends, hey, you're good. Or then you're super big and feeling slow and can't sleep on your stomach anymore. And there's this alien poking around down there, squeezing all the pee out of your bladder. But then the actual process of having a baby, that's not that big of a deal. Like, sorry, <laughs> don't throw anything at me. But okay, like, you're good. You no longer have an alien being in your body anymore. So like that this whole parent thing is a breeze. Except now there's this separate entity screaming at you. Like for some reason, they don't want to sleep when it's sleep time. Like for days on end, baby is screaming. Your eyes feel like sandpaper. You pretend you're still asleep to see if your spouse has mercy and goes in there instead of you. And then they don't. So you stagger out of the room, stub your toe on the wall, step on a Lego piece. And then you get to the baby itself. And oh my goodness, there is liquid poo everywhere. Pampers just full of poo. I don't care how high quality that diaper is, how firmly it's secured. Heck, you can even use duct tape. It doesn't matter. There's poo in the diaper, out of the diaper, on the bed, on the jammies. Like for the love of all that's holy, there's poo in their hair. Oh my gosh. But like, okay, okay, okay. Multiply sorrow, I get it a little bit. But then when they get a little older, they're just no problems, right? Nah, (laughs) you've been there like every stage, right? Every stage there's joy and every stage there's struggle. So here's my question. How is this for thy sake? Just consider for a second what happens to the selfishness of your soul when there's a little being that bears your name who is helpless. Your natural instinct is to forget yourself and start wiping poo. That's the most godlike thing imaginable. Or or what about the thorns and thistles and sweat 
literal and metaphorical you experience in, in work or just in life. Every minute is an invitation from God to allow life to refine your soul. Back to the story. Unto Adam and also unto his wife did I, the Lord God, make coats of skins. Just spoiler alert, this is a hint at the true redemption, but it's not going to come till our next story. And I clothed them. And I, the Lord God, said unto mine only begotten, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and partake also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore I, the Lord God, will send him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. For as I, the Lord God, liveth, even so my words cannot return, for they will go forth out of my mouth and must be fulfilled. There is a sense of hope here, like coat of skins. Think, how did they get the coat of skins? through the death of an animal sacrifice to make it possible. It makes them covered. Oh, one of the root words for covered here is the Hebrew word kafar. It means to cover. Notice that they're being covered by Christ. It's significantly different sort of covering them than if they were trying to fix themselves. Like well, they, or they try to fix themselves with fig, fig leaves. Like imagine making your clothes out of leaves, like itchy And it would last about two seconds until it's torn. Then think about leather, durable, lasting, and useful. Think about this. Why is being covered with Jesus so much more powerful and lasting than any sort of solution we could come up with? Like you, you're like you remember Steve Rogers, skinny Steve Rogers, before he's Captain America, pre-Captain America. Like when he somehow wheedles his way into the military and then they throw that grenade and skinny Steve throws his body on the grenade. See, the the fall creates this explosive consequences and Jesus throws himself on top of the grenade. We're not covered by vegetation or even by leather. We're covered by Christ. That being that created the very fabric of the universe is who stands between us and death us and the consequences of the fall. So the fall provides a spiritual way forward. The fall makes it possible for us to have families. And it also makes us mortal. With all the, the magic of mortality that comes from fresh donuts to warm hugs. But we need to also notice what happens with the fall. Verse 31, I drove out the man and I placed at the Garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. I drove out the man. This is absolutely crucial to understand. In Hebrew, the word used here is garesh. It means divorced. It means cut off. God really means it, that we are kicked out of the family at this point. We are separated. And nothing says stay out like a big old angel with a fire sword. And this has some very significant outcomes here. First, we're, we're no longer in the Garden of Eden. Now, I know you're saying like, no, duh, but hear me out. This world is no longer the celestial realm. It's no longer God's kingdom. This is Satan's kingdom. It says, Doctrine and Covenants 2940, wherefore it came to pass that the devil tempted Adam and he partook of the forbidden fruit and tra- transgressed the commandment. Wherefore, he became subject to the will of the devil because he yielded unto temptation. This becomes 
this, the, the, the realm of Satan. So Satan, through his cunning, usurped from man their God-given dominion over this world. They were meant to be the image bearers of God, and they gave that power to Satan. He became the ruler of the world, the God of this world, as it says in 2 Corinthians, the, the prince of this world is John, right? That the whole world under the control of the evil one, 1 John, he possesses all the kingdoms of the world, Luke says. And what's Satan's dominion like? Well, 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 9 tells us, and our spirits must become like unto him. We become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of our God and to remain with the father of lies in misery like unto himself. Yea, to that being who beguiled our first parents. What's this dominion like? Well, it's like entropy, this gradual decline into disorder. This, this idea of entropy, decay, and death just seem to be exist in the world that, that is created here. But Satan seems to relish in this decay and death to, to pour kerosene on the whole thing. Moses chapter 6, because that Adam fell, men have become carnal, sensual, and devilish. They're like Satan, right? Carnal meaning that we pay attention to the carne, to the flesh, sensual paying attention to the senses and devilish like we kind of like to rebel and the chaos and burn it down and because of that are shut out of the presence of god wherefore teach unto your children that all men everywhere must repent where they can no wise inherit the kingdom of god for no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence his presence meaning the presence of god presence of god means the kingdom of god means the, the family of god so we're cut off from the presence of God. We're, we're considered as dead to, to temporal life and spiritual things. We're in a carnal and fallen state and cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Mosiah says. In summary, what we're saying is, as fallen mortals, we are literally cut off and shut out from God's presence. We're shut out from God's kingdom, shut out from his family. We're shut out, therefore, from inheritance we're basically dead we we cannot inherit the kingdom of god because only children are heirs and since as fallen mortals we're, we're no longer considered fully god's children we're no longer his heirs this is the universal dilemma of the human family without god's help to overcome our fallen natures we have no hope of achieving divine potential like, let's get this straight. I like how Scott Woodward says it. He says it this way. He says, We often speak and sing about the idea that we and all mankind are literally the children of God. Like, I am a child of God. This is true and fundamental doctrine. We are the offspring of God, as it says in Acts. We, we were begotten in premortality as the sons and daughters of heavenly parents. But when we're describing mankind in this fallen world... This probationary state, the scriptures often speak of mankind not as the children of God, but as children of men. You can see it in Moses, in Nephi, in Doctrine and Covenants, all throughout our scriptures. Not as members of the family of God, but members of the family of Adam. Rather than reminding us that we are already the children of God when we arrive upon this earth, the scriptures inform us that you must become children of God. 
Again, Mosiah, Moses, Doctrine and Covenants all repeat this idea of becoming children of God. What does that mean? In what sense are we no longer God's children once we enter mortality? Why do we need to become God's children again? Well, the the scriptures declare that our collective mortal dilemma, the reason we are no longer considered God's children in the fullest sense, is that through the fall of Adam and Eve, all mankind have been shut out. They've been cut off both temporally and spiritually from the presence of the Lord God. And this cutting off cuts us off from inheritance. As fallen mortals, we, we are out of the family. We no longer can inherit. This is the ultimate dilemma. How do we overcome this? So, so that's the end of Scott Woodward. So let's get granular here. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. What happens when we dwell in Satan's power? Well, this earth changes from a paradise to, I don't know, into earth. A place where there are volcanoes and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis, sticker weeds, puncture weeds, mosquitoes, deep snow, intense heat. This world is in a state of entropy, decay, and death. Now, it's so beautiful. It gives you a glimpse of the divinity beyond, but it's also broken and dying. I mean, there's chiggers, like chiggers. Like death is everywhere. This death also affects our bodies. We are dying, period. Like I pulled my calf and it won't heal. It's like I live in Elantris. Even teenagers know what I'm talking about. Zits and cracking voices. And you who are a little older know especially what I'm talking about. Hurt backs, diseases. Heck, we got new viruses with corona shapes. So our bodies are broken. Entropy is real. Death is the ultimate domain of Satan. And we need to be clear. Your mind is part of, uh, of your body and it is fallen. Oh, man, you got to recognize this. We identify who we are with our thoughts and what we think, but your brains are fallen. You are not your thoughts. Like how often do you think your thoughts uh, are you? But honestly, your, your thoughts are like living with a roommate who just won't shut up. You may not have even noticed it, but say hello in your mind right now. Like, try it. Say, hello. Like, you can say it. You can hear your voice talk if you listen. And if you listen, you will notice that your spirit can just sit back and watch your brain think these fallen thoughts. Um, Like, it it will be like, hey, look, look, there's a dog. Look, that leaf is weird. (laughs) And if it doesn't have anything to talk about, it will come up with drama to make you just pay attention to it. Like on the old sitcom Scrubs, the main character, JD, at one point has a girlfriend who just likes drama. So JD finds himself breaking stuff so she'll make out with him. Our roommate, our brain, our heads, it's like that. If it can't find anything to think about, like it will just make up drama, arguments, offense, hardship. Just, just know that your thoughts are part of the fall and know that God knows this and he provides healing and help for all of this. Finally, like, so that we live in this world, our our bodies are fallen. Finally, Satan cleverly pulls our souls away from the Father and puts us us more completely in his power. Like, every time we sin, he's pulling us away from God and more fully into misery. The fall sucks. But there's a plot twist. You remember when it talked about Satan tempting Eve, trying to destroy the world? There's this line in there that's interesting. 
Satan knew not the mind of God. And in the most elegant Ocean's Eleven trap ever, he completely blunders into God's plan. As we know from the Book of Mormon, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden. But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. See, this is the magic of God. Most of the time he doesn't have to even work through earthquakes or anything big. He can use our agency, Satan's conniving, and elegantly twist it towards his end. It is amazing. Wilford Woodruff says it this way, Adam and Eve came to this world to perform exactly the part they, they acted in the Garden of Eden. And I will say they were ordained of God to do what they did. And it was therefore expected that they would eat the forbidden fruit in order that man might know both good and evil by passing through this school of experience which this life affords us. Brigham Young says, Some may regret that our first parents have sinned. We've talked about how this life is difficult. This is nonsense. I'm not blame Adam or Eve. Why? Because it was necessary that sin should enter into this world. No man could ever understand the principle of exaltation without its opposite. No one could ever receive an exaltation without being acquainted with the opposite. Elder Holland says this. He says, Elohim certainly could not force innocent parties out of the garden and still be a just God. So the fall is this mechanism by which God gets mankind in a condition where sin, evil, and opposition exist without himself being responsible for this condition, so he's now free to help us. Doctrine and Covenants 2939, and it must needs be that the devil should tempt the children of men or they could not be agents unto themselves. For if they never should have bitter, they could not know the sweet. And so it boils down this way. Here's the the root of it. The Holy Ghost entices our spirit. Satan entices our fallen bodies and minds. That's the internal battle that's really going on. God knows it. And he actually loves it. And he has a plan for us to overcome it. You may wish to curse your tendencies to do evil, but they're actually opportunities to do good. If we didn't have any propensities to do evil, there would be no triumph in doing good. If, we'd, if we had no evil to overcome within ourselves, there would be no victory in choosing goodness. Elder Bednar says this, The precise nature of the test of mortality can be summarized in the following two questions. Will my body rule over my spirit or will my spirit rule over my body? Will I yield to the enticings of the natural man or the eternal man? That, brothers and sisters, is the test. We are here on earth to develop godlike qualities and to learn to bridle all the passions of the flesh. Brigham Young says, If a man will disobey the gospel and walk in the way... Shoot. If a man will obey the gospel and walk in the ways of the Lord, his mortal existence and his proneness to sin, which he has inherited through the fall, will become profitable. Ooh, that's good and essentially necessary for the full enjoyment of salvation and eternal life. Here's what we're getting at. Once upon a time, there was a young woman stuck in a rut. Same friends, same school, same posts. Like, I know they're different posts, but they all look like the same post. Oh, look, a beach, new fake eyelashes, street tacos. And she just felt so flat. And then she went off to Idaho. I know what you're thinking. Life, life was sucky and then you send her to Idaho. Well, that was just a crappy end to a dumb story. 
But she went up to Idaho, and I don't know if you know this, but Idaho is known for its white water and its kayaking. So that's what she went off to do. She drove forever. Like, it really did seem like forever. She drove right off the self-service map and into the wild. The wild. This strange place is simultaneously the most rawly beautiful place she has ever seen and the most inconvenient. Mosquitoes, primitive, heck, primitive as a compliment in this situation to these bathroom facilities. And she spent her days paddling her kayak till her body hurt worse than it has ever felt before. Every fibrous strand of every muscle hurt in ways that were just unimaginable. And for the first time in a long time, heck, maybe for the first time ever, there was actual risk in her life. Real danger, real risk, real lack of safety. <laughs> Some of you are saying, I told you so, Idaho, mosquitoes, pain, suffering. But now here's the crazy thing. When she laid down on her thin sleeping mat, her back groaning in protest, she fell asleep with a smile on her face. Now that's plot twist number one. Stay tuned next time for plot twist number two. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.